We'll be in Luke chapter 24, uh, reading about what most Christians will be reading about today. People who are following Jesus or even just learning about Jesus today, this is where they'll probably be. They'll be in one of the versions. And so we're in Luke, one of the four, what are known as the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they simply are the story of who Jesus is and what he's done as told by Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And they simply wanted the world to know who exactly Jesus was and what he had accomplished, why he came, what he existed for, and what he finished. And we celebrate an amazing thing today that Jesus, this amazing guy who, who, did, who performed miracles and did amazing things, was turned on by the people who loved him the most, was thrown to a public execution where he was tortured for hours until he died publicly, naked in front of the crowd, humiliated before everyone, thrown into a borrowed grave, not the grave of his family, not the the cemetery plot of his family, but thrown into a borrowed grave. But three days later, he didn't stay there. And this is the story, the amazing story that we keep coming back to once a year. And so we love, we love Easter eggs. We love the Easter bunny. We love flowers, you know, blooming. We love all those things. We love spring. But the coolest thing about this day is that we remember an amazing event that people can't stop talking about, that we're still talking about today. An event that I'll give you permission, it's difficult to believe. But this is the account. And up to this point, Jesus has been walking amidst amidst the public. He's been doing amazing things. He's been performing miracles, teaching powerful, authoritative teaching that astonished crowds and drew crowds. And he had 12 loyal guys following him along called disciples. They were like apprentices. They were like in their residency. They were walking in Jesus' footsteps, learning from him, doing what he did, trying to imitate him, trying to to follow his example. And then there was a larger group of people, about 70 or even 400, that were also followers of Jesus outside of that original 12. And as Jesus was betrayed, ultimately, by one of those loyal 12, and as Jesus was abandoned by all of his friends, he was executed publicly And his friends, who swore they would be with him to the end, abandoned him, left him for dead, for fear of their own lives. And they hid. And this is the story, after they had been hiding for the fear of the authorities, of what happened on the first day of the week, that is Sunday. So verse 1 in Luke chapter 24, but on the first day of the week. So just in your mind, very briefly, Picture your calendar as you picture, like a monthly calendar. On the left side is, the far left are Sundays. On the far right side are Saturdays, right? You can picture that. One through seven, that's the first day of the week. I know that seems like an obvious thing to point out, but just trust me. It's important for the rest of this story, right? So on the first day of the week, that is the Sunday, at early dawn, they went into the tomb. Now, if you have a different Bible uh, or a different translation of the Bible, let's say they arose early or they got up early or they set out early. And I want to draw attention to those, those first few phrases, especially they set out early. Okay? This is a phrase that's littered out through the entire Bible. Even in the first very book of the Bible, the book of Genesis, And it's kind of a catchphrase, so that if you're reading through the Bible, and if you're like me, maybe you made a commitment to try to read through the Bible once a year, um, and I encourage you to do that, maybe even just read a few books uh, of the Bible through uh, for once a year, it's it's a great challenge. And as you do it, you will occasionally run on this phrase, and it says, early in the morning. 
In fact, all four of the gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all mentioned that on the first day of the week, early in the morning, John even says that before the sun came up, and it's just a catchphrase so that as you're reading through God's Word, as you're reading the story of who God is and, and His interaction with people, as you do that, perk up your ears whenever you see that phrase. Because it's simply to say that God is doing something. And there's a sense of anticipa- anticipation about it. So here's the best way to illustrate that. So have you, when, go back to when you were a kid. Picture when you were a kid, all right? You're a young kid. It's Christmas morning. Christmas morning, you're a young child. Have any of you ever had to set an alarm on Christmas morning as a child? In fact, those of you who have kids, do you need to set an alarm for your kids for Christmas morning? Right? Because there's something built into that day. There's something built into the significance of that day, the excitement, the anticipation of that day that you can't possibly sleep in. And it's possible, if you're, you're like me, uh, when I was a kid, you didn't even make it to dawn. And I, I even distinctly remember, and I don't, I don't want to throw out any, I, I, don't, I don't know who's going to be listening, I don't want to mess up anybody's belief system, but I remember waking up and getting there to the tree before Santa did. Ever done that? Um, that was a traumatic experience, and I just, okay, I guess I got up too early. It was like the middle of the night. I didn't set an alarm to beat Santa. I, I, I just woke up out of a sense of anticipation. I was so excited about that day and what it held, the gifts that I would find that I couldn't possibly sleep in. And that's the exact kind of attention that's meant to be drawn to this day in every time you see it in the Bible. Perk up your ears. They got up early. They couldn't sleep in. They anticipated something. God is about to do something so amazing that you can't possibly sleep in. Now, I'll confess. I usually wake up every morning before dark but it's for a whole other reason, right? And then I promptly go right back to bed. But this morning I have a confession. I actually got up. This is exciting. This thing, as a side note, that God has brought us here to celebrate is is, kind of blowing my mind. And I got up at about 5 o'clock and I could not go back to sleep. I would love to say that, I mean, I, I did something productive with that hour or so before the sun came up. I just kind of laid there and got up, made some coffee, and just stared at the wall. And it was because I couldn't go back to sleep. And so I want to put that out there as maybe just a challenge, maybe just an invitation. Because the rest of this story might be hard to believe, but I want to maybe put it out there. What, what if we believed that God was so real and so powerful that each day we so readily anticipated what He might do around us that we couldn't possibly sleep in? What would it look like if you and I were the kind of people that were so excited about what God is doing that we couldn't possibly sleep in? That the minute we got up, we would have to, we would wake up early and we had, we'd have to stay up. We'd be like the old men at McDonald's, right? Five o'clock in the morning. But not just wasting our time, um, but instead excited about what was going to happen in that day. Eager to see what God is doing. Because that's kind of the picture, that's the level of anticipation that's laid out for what's going to happen and what we celebrate on Easter. That God brings new life. And I have no idea your story. I have no idea what brought you here. And I have no idea how many bruises, scars, and wounds that you have. But what if, in spite of all that you've been through, what if you could still see the possibility that God has? 
What would that do? What would that do to the things that you've endured, the things that you and I have been through that almost destroyed us and almost killed us? What if you and I celebrated today the kind of anticipation we really and truly expected God to do amazing things? Because that's what the story is about. They rose early. They went to the tomb. They took spices they had prepared. That is, they didn't have a, a, a sophisticated or advanced system of embalming dead bodies like you and I have, but the best they could do is simply put strong spices and, and different strong-smelling perfumes so as a, a dead body decomposes, it would be at least sort of tolerable to be around. And so they, three days after Jesus had been laid in the tomb, went with these embalming spices to prepare the body. And, says, and they found, as they walked up, the stone that had been rolled in front of the grave. The stone was rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Now when John tells this story and his account of what happened this day, he just says right out, angels. There were angels that were there. Angels were waiting outside of the tomb. But Luke kind of leaves it out there. He, he wants you to at least know that there, there's some mystery here, something crazy is happening. There were two men standing beside them or, or, or by them in a dazzling apparel and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground the men said to them why do you seek the living among the dead he is not here but he is risen remember how he told you while he was still in galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man of sinful men and be crucified and then on the third day rise and then they remembered his words, and returning from the tomb, they told all of these things to the eleven and to all the rest. And now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary the mother of James and the other women with them who told these things to the apostles. Now stop right there. You'll remember this. We've kind of talked about it. If you haven't been with us the last few months, we've talked about how Jesus is a start of a Jesus started a new movement, a new movement that created a new culture. Uh, a culture that stood out from the culture that existed. And, and I just point this out. At this period in time, women weren't even allowed to give an eyewitness account in a court of law. They weren't allowed to give a testimony as a witness to a crime or anything else in a court of law. Women had a, a status in a society that was so low at this time that they couldn't hold jobs, they couldn't support themselves, and they depended fully upon men, so much so that they weren't even allowed to give an eyewitness account. Their word... Their witness was not trusted. And so I just point that out because who was it that, that God evidently entrusted this amazing message, this good news about what had happened? Who was it that God entrusted with this message? It's a new culture. It's a new day. It's a new society. God does something new and God changes everything. In fact, we see this here because the story was told first by a group of women. It's because this Jesus is different. And God changed everything with Jesus. This Jesus starts something new and a, a new day comes. But verse 11, these words seem to them an idle tale. Maybe they kind of believed what the rest of the society believed, but it says they did not believe them. They didn't believe the women. Now, in this society, they would have had a good reason not to. After all, they, They've probably been trained not to listen to the eyewitness account of women, but isn't it awesome? God entrusts this message to someone different. Verse 12 says, Peter rose and he ran to the tomb. And stooping and looking in, he saw the linen cloths by themselves. 
and he went home marveling at what had happened. Something happened. God did something that changed everything. And especially as you zoom out from this event that took place about 2,000 years ago, if you zoom out into the rest of history that surrounds it, God did something. God did something and it changed everything. Now, one of the first things I pointed out, they came on the first day of the week. They didn't come on the seventh day of the week. That is Saturday. For them, the Sabbath, because on the Sabbath, you were supposed to have religious observances. You weren't supposed to work. You weren't supposed to go and say, embalm a body. You observe the Sabbath. You keep it holy. You don't do anything. You rest. Now, there's a difference between doing nothing and keeping the day holy, right? There's a difference between having a vacation and having a holy day. But for them, they had religious observances to have on Saturday. And yet, God did something. Something happened. So that now, even if you yourself, maybe you wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, you know this. People who call themselves followers of Jesus, people who call themselves Christian, they meet, they get together, like us today, on what day of the week? So something happened to where a group of highly religious and devout people got together on the seventh day of the week, and now something happened. God did something that changed everything so that religious people, people who witnessed something, something that God did in this particular period, now they gather and they celebrate what God did on Sunday. And typically, Sunday morning. Something happened. Now I point that out because... We all know how religious people love change, right? Right? And if you're not religious, you can laugh at the rest of us. You know, religious people, we love change, right? They don't like traditions or doing things over and over again. They don't like rituals or patterns, right? This is me being sarcastic, just in case. Right? For example, what if I said, hey, all the Christians, all the Christians, all the people that get together and they worship together and they celebrate Jesus on Sunday. Let's stop doing it on Sunday. Let's do it on Monday. And all you people who have jobs on Monday, don't go. Instead, let's get together and let's celebrate Jesus on Monday. Everybody, all the Christians everywhere, let's do it on Monday from now on. Let's change the day. What would it take to get people to completely uproot their regular schedules, to all of a sudden stop what they do on one day of the week and remove their entire work week schedule or their lives and start doing something different throughout the week. Can you imagine what it would take? Because again, you know how we love change. People, even people who aren't religious, we love change, right? We don't love our routines. And you see, God did something. God did something, and it changed everything to where a group of people who would never, ever, ever want to change their traditions, their rituals, they stopped to where now you and I celebrate 2,000 years later that God did something that uprooted a whole bunch of traditions and created some new ones. God did something. It changed everything. For example, as you zoom out, you can even see the bigger picture. So what year is it, right? Anyone know? Say it out loud for me, obviously. Anyone? 2014, correct? 2014. So, 2014. 2014 years. Now, here's the cool thing. 2014 years since since what? Right? What do those numbers even mean? What, What are they related to? 
You see, we, we tend to count time in weird ways. We, we, count them, we count months and days and years with respect to special events. So, for example, does any of you, do anybody have any kids here that are between the age of one and two, like over a year and under two? You, under two, but over one? Anyone? Okay, good. So we can make fun of these people because they're not here. If, say, for example, we had someone in here and they had a child who was over one year and under two, what would be the units of measure that they would tell you how old their child is? Yeah. <laughs> Months. It, 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 it's insane. No one talks that way. I mean, no one. We don't, we don't do, I mean, I mean, think, did you, do, you use, do you use 17, 19, or 20 months as a unit of measure for anything? And if so, I mean, how, how crazy would people think you are, right? So much so that, you know, hey, you know, how, 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 long, how long have you been married? Or how long, oh, I've been married for a year and a half or two years, right? But I guess I'll put this out there as an observation. Having a child is such a life-altering event that it changes the way we tell time. It changes the way we measure. And, and that's just a small little example of how we measure time in relation to this life-altering event. And I apologize, I've done it too. I only did it because I heard my wife say it, but like, how old is your little girl? She's 19 months. And I, don't get me wrong, I'd say that and I would have to in my head go one, three, year and, oh, yeah, 19 months, right? And even then, if you came up to me and you were like, oh, my daughter, we're, yeah, my daughter or my son, they're 14 months old. I would, I would secretly, you would, I don't have a good poker face, and so you would see my face, you would see the gears turning, I'd go, 14, 13. That's cool. So, so in between one and two years, that's awesome. Good for you, right? Never do math out loud. But there's this life-altering event to the extent that it changes the way we measure time. And God did something. God did something here. Even historians who do not follow Jesus agree. And people measure time in relation to this thing, this coming and living of this guy, Jesus. And even people who do not believe in Jesus, whether they mean to or not, are measuring time when they say 2014. And they're measuring time from now to the time when something amazing happened. Something radical happened that altered the way they keep time. Now historians today have kind of tried to be uh, religious, religiously, or that's you know, kind of neutral to religion, so they refer to the date like 2014 as CE, Common Era, or BCE, Before Common Era. But after this amazing thing happened that these people celebrated, Within 500 years, about 500 years after this happened, the whole world measured time based on the time that had been, the time that had transpi- transpired and time that had passed and elapsed from that moment until this moment right here. And by 500, the 6th century, people measured time, other than a small group of people we see in Russia. Um, they, didn't, they didn't start keeping this kind of calendar or keeping years this way until about the 20th century. The entire world, the entire known world measured time from this moment. And it's because God did something. God did something amazing and it changed everything. It changed even the way that people 
measured time and they measured the passing of time. So that even now, as we refer to 2014, we say 2014 A.D. A.D., a Latin word, Latin phrase, anno domini, anno domini, the year of our Lord. Or short, people say, B.C., before Christ, A.D., after death. We measure it, whether you mean to or not. When you write a check, when your cell phone tells you the time and the date, even your cell phone measures what time it is in relation to this event. Because when God does something, it changes everything. It changed the entire world. It changed the patterns of religious people, but let's skip, if you want to, to verse 36 in chapter 24. It changed everything, including this group of people. In verse 36, it says, as they were talking about these things, that, that is that people were starting to spread the word that Jesus was alive, that he wasn't in his tomb, that he was alive, and that people had seen him walking and talking and alive. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself stood among them. So stop right there. When someone dies, they stay dead. When someone dies, they, they stay that way. And we expect that. And here was a guy that they watched They watched him get tortured, beaten. People spat upon him. People punched him, slapped him. They mocked him. They made fun of him. And then they hung him in a public place so that everyone could see. And they let him stay there until he died. Until he suffocated. They watched their friend, who they betrayed, who they abandoned, who they didn't stand up for. They watched him die. Painfully, agonizingly. And then they watched them take the body and they watched them put him, their friend Jesus in the tomb. So there's a couple things I want to, before we talk about how the world gets changed in this particular thing, I want you to hear the good news of Jesus, okay? You see, Jesus had created behind him a, a following, a group of followers, people who followed in his footsteps and wanted to be like him. They were his best friends on this earth. And they swore, Jesus, if anything bad happens to you, we'll die, right? We will die before we would let anything bad happen to you. And when bad things started happening to Jesus, when his popularity plummeted and people turned on him and they wanted to see him die more than they wanted to see him do miracles, they wanted to see Jesus die because he was saying things that made them very upset. Because after all, you don't get hung on a cross for saying things that people want to hear. And when they watched their friend Jesus die, Instead of standing up and saying, no, stop. Instead of saying, no, no, I'll die in his place. Or saying, no, don't do that. Or, or let's fight to the death. Instead of doing any of those things for their friend, instead of standing up to their friends for their, for their friend Jesus, they just silently, quietly hid. We talked about this too. They didn't bail him out of jail. They didn't visit him. They didn't testify on his behalf. They weren't called as character witnesses. Instead, they all went home and they hid. And a few of them who happened to be close enough to see it happen, like Peter, the guy that ran all the way to the tomb, this Peter guy, not only was hiding, but when they thought they caught him and they, hey, you were with Jesus, he said no, and he cursed. He swore against this man. He said, no, forget it. I don't know this man. They didn't help him. He didn't try to bail him out didn't stand up for him. Certainly didn't live up to his promise to say he would die for Jesus. 
And now Jesus has this opportunity. God has done something that changed everything. And now Jesus has this opportunity to show His face to the people that abandoned Him, betrayed Him, the people who gave up on Him, the people when He needed them most. These people failed. They were hiding in their homes for fear of their own lives. They were looking out for their own self-interest and they did not help Jesus. And now Jesus, it says, has appeared before them. Now if that were you, and you had an opportunity to face the people who were responsible for your death, if you had an opportunity to see face to face the people who had betrayed you, abandoned you, and acted like they never knew you, people who swore they'd be your friend but then left you out to dry, if you had a chance to face those people, because sometimes we don't get this chance, right? People betray us and they're gone. They're out of our lives. But if you had a chance to face the people that betrayed you, and even the people that betrayed you and let you die, and God gave you a second chance to see those people, to say whatever you, hey, hey, I'm going to pull you out of the grave. Those people who killed you, you get to face them, right? They murdered you, but you get a chance to see them face to face, and you can tell them whatever you want. What would you say to those people who betrayed you, abandoned you, and left you for dead? Now, I, I know, I confess that I, I know what I would say. Because right? I, I kind of follow the rules of society, right? Like, hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. Right? Because after all, if someone hurts you, you kick them out of your life. You protect yourself. Don't subject yourself to that kind of hurt. Don't subject yourself to that kind of betrayal. You kick them out of your life. You distance yourself from people who will hurt you or who people who won't stand up for you. You want to keep around you the kind of people that are going to bail you out of jail, not let you go to jail. They're going to stand up and fight for you. You kick the other people out of your life. And yet Jesus goes back to these people who abandoned him, betrayed him, turned their back on him. And he has an opportunity to do and say whatever he wants. And this is what he says. Verse 36, it says, they were talking about these things and Jesus stood among them. And what does he say to these people who betrayed him? What does he say to the people who let him down? What does he say to the people who turned on him? He says to them, peace to you. Peace. I want you to weigh those words maybe with your own experience because if I get the opportunity to see you after you betrayed me and leave me for dead, it's going to be a fight. Right? At the worst, it's going to be a fight with words. Right? We don't, if we don't throw punches, I'm, I'm at least going to say some mean and nasty, and you know, I'll probably say some very spiteful, passive-aggressive, sarcastic, like, thanks a lot, guys. It's, I'm going to stir up strife. With whatever I do, I'm going to, I'm going to get in some jabs. Even if, I'm, even if I'm polite and I'm nice, and I'm not telling you I'm going to kill you, I'll do what most people do, and I'll just be like, sarcastically kind of get a jab in there. Hey, good job, guys. Thanks for helping us out. Appreciate you. And I'll stir up some strife. And Jesus, with the opportunity to do just that, instead of stirring up strife, he says, peace. I want you to have peace. You see, there's good news about this Jesus that we celebrate today. This Jesus is not like anyone else. This Jesus doesn't have friends like we have friends. This Jesus doesn't love people like we love people with conditions and terms. This Jesus is different. 
This Jesus, even in the face of betrayal and hurt, in the face of being abandoned and left for dead by the people that loved him supposedly the most, this Jesus, instead of taking the opportunity to wipe them out, kill them, hurt them, or at least get in a few shots, the first thing out of his mouth is peace. Peace. I'm not here to hurt you. I'm not here with anger. I'm here to give you peace. And the good news about this Jesus is he doesn't love people based on what they bring to the table. He doesn't love and value people based on how helpful and how valuable they are to him. He loves them because his love is amazing. And God demonstrated his love through Jesus, so that we would know that you can be the best you want. You can do everything good in your entire life, and it still won't earn you this amazing thing that Jesus wants to give you freely. And on the other side, the really good news for people like me, you can fail. You can fail miserably. You can have a life like mine where you maybe hurt lots of people. You've betrayed people. You've turned your back on people, and you've failed to live up to the standards that people have given to you. Most importantly, the standards that God has set for you to be a good and righteous and perfect and right person, those standards that you and I have failed to meet and failed to live up to, do not disqualify us from the love of this Jesus because He's different. He's not like anybody else. He doesn't love us because we are great. And He didn't love His disciples and give them peace because the disciples were great. Because after all, they betrayed Him. He doesn't love because we are great. He loves because He is great. And that's why everything has been changed. God did something through this Jesus and it changed everything. He broke the rules. People who die stay dead. And if they get a chance to come back, every movie you watch, they come back for revenge. Right? If there's a movie you're watching and the guy dies and he comes back, it's to get the last day. The, the, the Freddy Krueger, he's dead. You think he's dead? He comes back, gets one last day. The guy, you know, the, the guy in the John Claude Van Damme movie, you think the guy, the, you think the enemy's out, you think he's underwater or he's dead in the corner, and he gets back. He, does he come back and go, oh, I'm sorry, my bad. Peace is all good. No, he comes back for that last little jab, and that's you got to finish him off. That's our culture, because if you fail to live up to those expectations, you're done. And this Jesus is different. And God used amazing love, not amazing revenge, to change the world. And instead of God looking at you and me and holding our failures against us, he sent Jesus to appear among us. And his words aren't, I told you so, or you jerk. His words to you and to me are, there's peace. There's no strife between you and me. It's settled. You're forgiven. We're good. But of course, in verse 37, it says they were startled, and they were frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. Then he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do you doubts arise in your heart? See my hands and see my feet. It's I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones. I'm not a, he's saying I'm not a ghost, as you see that I have. Verse 40, and when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they were still, I love this, and while they still disbelieved, they were touching it and they see it and they still disbelieved for joy and they were marveling. For he said to them, Have you anything to here to eat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and he ate before them. And then he said to them, These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and of the prophets 
and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures, and he said to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer on the third day, rise from the dead, and that repentance, not vengeance, repentance and forgiveness from failure, forgiveness from sins, not, not revenge, forgiveness should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. For you were witnesses of these things, and behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you. So stay into the city until you're clothed with power on high. God did something and it changed everything. Because as we're doing it, and I challenge you in the next few weeks, we're going to jump back into the book of Acts that we've been talking about what the first churches look like. Because if we're going to start a church and it's going to be right, then we want to base it on the first churches that there ever were. We want it to be based on ancient truth and not just our trends and preferences. And these guys who were hiding, these guys who were trying to save their own necks, in the next couple of chapters, they run out and they risk their own lives, and some of them even die for the sake of telling people about this Jesus. Something happened. God did something. It not only changed a huge tradition, it not only changed the way we tell time, but it also changed these people to where they started a movement. And they went from, at one moment, trying to save their own lives, afraid of their own death, to the next minute, risking their own lives, and even we see embracing death for the sake of this Jesus. And that's because God did something. God changed everything. And when they saw Jesus alive, it turned everything upside down. So I'll close with these words. So there's encouragement here. I don't know if you noticed the the apostles, some of these guys, they're even seeing Jesus. And uh, and you you notice they even saw him and they were standing there going, apparently Luke tells us they still disbelieved. I hope that's an encouragement to you because as we're celebrating that a guy walked out of a grave today, we celebrate that today and you find yourself going, that's a little hard to believe. I got encouragement for you that it's okay if you find that difficult to believe. You, you get off the hook here. There's, there's grace and there's forgiveness. And so as I tell you that God could change everything and could give you peace and that God could give you a new life marked by incredible joy, as I tell you that and you find yourself going, I don't know about that. You know what I've been through? There's encouraging words. God can change your world even if you have a hard time believing that it's true. And if you're like me, if you find yourself being a little skeptical and you hear this story, okay, so let's say you're right. Let's say you're right that this Jesus is who he says he is. Let's say that the story about Jesus walking out of a grave alive three days later is really true. What does that have to do with me? That's a great story about 2,000 years ago. If you're like me, you're like, that's great, good for you, even if I believe that. What's it got to do with me? And the way I would illustrate it and challenge you and encourage you and invite you today is this. Someone comes later and explains what it has to do with us and Here's probably the best picture I could paint. So um, we're on an Olympic year. Got to watch the Winter Olympics that took place not but you know a couple months ago. And many of those Olympians won gold, silver, or bronze medals. Many teams and individuals won great victory, right? They, they won great victory. In fact, there was, there was a football team even, the Seattle Seahawks, and they won a great victory. I know I apologize to some of you, that's not a good thing. But they won a great victory, right? Last year, a few months before, um, there was a baseball team called the Boston Red Sox, and they won the World Series. 
a great victory. Right? Before that, there was a basketball team at the end of the summer called the Miami Heat, and they won the NBA Finals. A great victory. Big victory. They walked away winning. They walked away winners. And do you know what all of those winners, those very victorious people have in common? Not a single one of them, after they won, called me to tell me about it. Not a single one of them, as they were partying, they were in the locker room, they're throwing champagne all over. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Let's call Jonathan. Hey. I mean, LeBron James wasn't like, hey, we won. And he's like, let's, hey, Jonathan, I just want to let you know, come party with us. Come celebrate. We just won the NBA Finals. There were no, there were no people who won gold medals in the Olympics who called me like, hey, Jonathan, come party with me. We won. Nobody in the Seattle Seahawks called me and was like, hey, we won. Come celebrate with us. They won. It was great. But not a single one of them called me. Not a single one of them was like, hey, Jonathan, share in this. But if you find yourself asking, what does this whole Jesus thing have to do with me? A guy by the name of Paul, who also met Jesus face to face, answers this. And he told a church who was asking the same question, what does Jesus have to do with me? He says, when finally the perishable, that is the things that die, have been clothed with the imperishable, when the mortal, that is our mortal bodies, have been clothed with immortality, then the saying that is written will become true. Death, our greatest fear in this life, death will be swallowed up in victory. And just like we sang, we'll say, where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? For the sting of sin is death, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, because He gives us the victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. Did you get that? The greatest victory that was ever achieved on Easter Sunday when Jesus walked out of that grave victorious, instead of keeping it to himself, he went to the first people he knew and he comes to you and to me and he says, we're having a party to celebrate my victory. Come and be a part of it. The greatest victory, the thing that changed the world, it changed the way we tell time, it changed the tradition, it changed the trajectory of history because these people who once were afraid of their own death were then risking their own lives for the sake of Jesus. It changed everything, and God wants you and I to celebrate in it. What an amazing thing. And the next time that a team wins the Super Bowl, probably not the Dallas Cowboys, the next time a team wins a Super Bowl and they don't call you to celebrate, and they don't call me, don't worry. Because the God of the universe who changed all of history, who did something that turned everything upside down, wants you to get in on the victory. And if you find yourself saying, I, I, don't, I don't know how on earth my life could be different than what it is, if you find yourself wondering if God could really change your life and give you joy in it, I want to give you these words of encouragement. What if the thing that God did was so amazing and it changed everything so greatly that it even has the power, if you will begin to believe it, to change you? What if every bad and terrible thing that has ever happened to you or that you've done in your life could be wiped away compared to the amazing thing that God did for you.
Because we celebrate today that God did something that changed everything. And it's bigger, no offense, than any measly thing you or I will ever do. What Jesus has done is bigger than anything that you have ever done. What God has accomplished and finished is greater than anything you will ever accomplish. And that is a word of encouragement for you and for me. That when the circumstances of our lives weigh us down and we think, wow, this is going to define us, this is going to destroy us, there is good news. There is nothing that could ever happen that's bigger than what has already happened. And you or I can never do anything bigger than what Jesus has done for us. And he doesn't come to you to rub it into your face and to exact revenge. He comes so that you will have peace. Peace. Not because nothing bad has happened, but peace. But because what he has done is so incredibly greater than anything that's ever happened. That is good news. That no matter what I do or whatever is done to me, nothing can change or take away this amazing thing that Jesus has done for you. And my invitation to you is simple. If you would try, if you would just consider believing the truth of those words, just try it. I promise you, it can change everything. It can change your entire world. And just the power to believe that God really can give us new life the way he gave Jesus new life, the power to consider and believe it is the power to be transformed. So in a minute here, we're going to pray together. We're going to close and we'll take up an offering. And I I challenged you earlier, I encourage you to give generously because we want the good news of Jesus. We want just like this, we want want the good news of Jesus to go out of here and we want to invest in that. We want to be generous and give it away. But there's another thing if you'll see on that card, there, there's an opportunity. Maybe, maybe if you see that, and you'll see the check down there, the possibility of, I want to know more about Jesus. I want to know more about being a Christian. I, I want to know more about following Jesus. Or maybe just, I want to know if this whole thing is really true. I want to know if this is like a cult or if it's crazy. Write that. Write that down. Drop it in the offering plate. I would love the opportunity, and there's some of us who would love the opportunity to encourage you and challenge you with these awesome good words of good news that Jesus can make everything new. And so after we pray, we're going to take up an offering. Some ushers are going to do that. And I, I, this is an easy way. There's, there's no risk involved in this. You can just say, hey, I want to know more about this. I, I want to know what it's like to have everything changed. I want a new life. Just write that and drop it in the plate. And I, I promise you, awesome things will happen. I would love to encourage you about this great and awesome thing that Jesus did. So let's pray together and let's ask God to bless us and everyone else who's celebrating that Jesus gives new life. God, we thank you so much for how good you are. We thank you so much for how merciful you are. Uh, You take all of our baggage, and you offer a replacement of new life. Uh, You offer an exchange. You take all of our our messes and all of our mistakes, and uh, you offer to replace them with peace and with joy. So I thank you so much for that. Uh, and maybe if there's some in this room that maybe that this is kind of, it's, it's weird, and maybe if we're having a hard time believing that this is possible and this is true, that you really can do something that changes everything, I mean, would today be the day they take a first step and just maybe fill out that card and drop it, or maybe just in their own mind, intellectually think, uh, 
I'm going to believe this is true. I'm going to test this out. I want to see who this God is. I want to see if he really can change everything. Maybe today would be the day that we celebrate new life. Not only new life that people everywhere celebrate that took place 2,000 years ago, but new life for today, for our lives. If there's some of us, maybe we have doubts and we're wondering if this could be true, I pray that you would just encourage us, that you would fill us up with, uh, with faith and hope, that we would know that there's nothing that we can do or have done that's greater than what you can do and what you have done. And maybe if there's guilt, if there's someone in here that's wearing guilt, or if there's someone in here that's, that's just filled with dread and they're thinking, oh, my life is awful, there's no way this could be turned around. Would you right now just encourage them and let them know, just, just as Jesus says to his disciples who failed them, peace, man, we're cool, we're good. I can fix this. So if we're here with doubts, would you begin to replace them with faith? Would you encourage us and challenge us with the beauty that comes from receiving a gift that's greater than anything we could ever purchase on our own? Help us to respond faithfully. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.